Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm Jesse Bartholomew. I was recently looking through this book. It's kind of like a tourist book. It's called Kentucky Curiosities by Vince Staten or Staten. It's got all these short little blurbs about various Kentucky sites and, and people. And I stopped at this one little part of it called Icy Red, Icy Purple. And here's what it said. Between 1953 and 1962, government doctors tested the psychedelic drug LSD on 300 human patients, prisoners who were being treated for drug addiction at the U.S. Public Service Hospital in Bracktown. Because there was no money to pay the prisoners for their participation, they were given a choice of time off their sentences or the drug of their choice. Now, I don't know why I'm surprised by anything the CIA does anymore. I was just talking to a friend the other day about this. And, you know, when you're in school, you're taught just about how all these government agencies do great things. They start these great new programs, always by the book. Then you grow up and you hear about all the crazy shit that went on in between that they don't teach you about in school. I just think it's so funny. But anyway, um... Yes, I have a big long list of topics to cover, but once I saw this, I got really excited and wanted to move it to the top of the list while I'm still feeling excited about it, while it's still so new, right, you know? So so I'm going to go ahead and cover it now. So this is the story of the Lexington Narcotics Farm. This place was known casually as the U.S. Narcotic Farm, or NARCO, though officially it was called the U.S. Public Service Hospital. There was actually a contest to name it, and over 800 contestants wrote into a Lexington newspaper with suggestions. But the idea itself manifested in 1930 when the U.S. Secretary of the Treasury, Secretary of War, and Attorney General got together and decided this would be a good thing to build in Lexington, Kentucky. This idea to have a federally funded hospital specifically for treating and curing drug addiction was really cutting edge. There was only one other so far, and it was in Fort Worth, Texas. It officially opened $4 million and five years later, in 1935, and the man who was first in charge, Dr. Lawrence Kolb, had a history of advocating for mental health, and his view on these subjects like mental health and addiction were also very cutting edge, and he was just a really interesting guy in his own right. Uh, he's not from Kentucky, so I can't really give him an episode, but anyway, the hospital sat on 1,200 acres, and in that first year, Roughly a thousand addicts and people who'd been arrested on drug charges found themselves enjoying a stay at the narcotic farm. The hospital also featured a 175-bed unit for women. Here's a great description of the building itself from a Forbes article by Clary Estes titled, The Narcotic Farm and the Little-Known History of America's First Prison for Drug Addicts. Quote, as you drive along the picturesque rolling hills of central Kentucky horse country, you may unexpectedly pass by a leviathan of a building draped in barbed wire and nestled among the surrounding farmland. The entrance rises up along two concrete massifs, leading to brick and concrete arms stretching out around a square yard filled with a metal labyrinth of chain-linked fences and razor-sharp spirals of barbed wire. With an American flag waving at the entrance, 
The building, both beautiful and foreboding, seems well-suited for a quintessential American haunted house movie, but holds within it a fascinating history that is still playing out today in the wake of the opioid epidemic. The average stay at the narcotic farm was about four to six months. This would entail physical and medical exams, plus a psychiatric assessment. And then if they were seen fit enough to treat, then they were officially admitted and would begin assisted withdrawal from their drug. According to KentuckyHistoricInstitutions.org, this withdrawal period would be about two weeks on average, and after that they'd be transferred to the infirmary to make sure they were good and healthy. Once they got a clean bill of health, they would start the rehabilitation phase, where they would focus on working through any residual physical and or emotional issues. One interesting thing about this hospital was that it was made up of both incarcerated people and civilians. So some arrived from federal prisons and others were there voluntarily. It had built such a good reputation that some famous people even went there for voluntary stays, including William S. Burroughs and Chet Baker. And the farm would never refuse a patient for their inability to pay for their rehab, but the actual cost for a voluntary patient was $5 per day. And there was more going on at the farm than just rehab. There were three businesses operating out of it. Furniture, built to send to U.S. federal offices, clothing manufacturing, and farming. And these helped the operation turn a profit. But there's something else the farm was doing, too. It was also a research center. So let's take a step back here. According to Clary Estes in the Forbes article I mentioned, about half the prison population in the 1920s were incarcerated on drug-related charges. And this was thanks to inventions of things like Bayer's opium, which was available to consumers starting in 1898. More drugs led to more incarcerated drug addicts, and frankly, the government just didn't know what to do with this influx of people. I mean, we should be old professionals by now in this field, and we still kind of don't know what we're doing or how to deal with addiction. Um, But, you know, back then it was pretty brand spanking new to everybody. And so they were simultaneously trying to figure out how addiction worked, how to treat it, and how to get the prison population back down to a more manageable number. Gosh, hate to break it to them, but that last part certainly didn't happen. Now, this whole idea of treating these people as patients rather than prisoners and treating them with things like self-improvement, farming programs, art therapy, and sports for recreation made this way too progressive for some people, and it was sometimes referred to as a country club prison. They even had a bowling alley, and people who stayed there got manicures and pedicures and fashionable haircuts. And the women would cook while the men would farm, and then they would get together, inmates and voluntary patients, and put on jazz dance performances. And there are photos of these events, and really it looks like the people are having some fun. Unfortunately, though, the narco farm's relapse rate was depressingly high, around 90%. And the U.S. drug policies were just 
aggressive and punitive, so they really weren't getting a lot of help or encouragement structurally. And the Narcotics Control Act of 1956 meant a five-year minimum sentence for first-time possession charges and a possible death penalty sentence for drug dealers. This act was really a precursor for the later war on drugs. And a decade after that first act, the Narcotics Addiction Rehabilitation Act led to even more inmates being redirected to the narco farm. And this was before the prisoners' rights movement of the late 60s and early 70s, so some of these inmates ended up becoming the subjects of research experiments, and these were conducted by the Addiction Research Center, ARC, ARC, from 1948 all the way to 1976. These inmates had to volunteer for the experiments, and once signed up, they were re-addicted to opioids and other drugs, and then studied. According to the aforementioned Forbes article, the facility, quote, in some ways transferred its operations to effectively creating a situation of legal drug addiction. Patients would be offered time off their sentences or even payment for their services in drugs. Sometimes, newly invented drugs would be tested on the inmate population to see if the concoctions were safe enough for the general public. According to the Institute for Research, Education, and Training in Addictions, the discoveries made by ARC from these experiments included advancing the use of methadone to treat heroin addiction, helping explain why so many addicted people undergo repeated relapses to drug abuse even after successful treatment, demonstrating that drug dependence is not limited to opiates and extends to other drugs of abuse, helping find and study multiple opioid receptors, and much more. Overall, the work they did at the farm helped people better understand that addiction really is a, quote, chronic relapsing disease. But the morality of the experiments did start to raise some red flags, Specifically, when outsiders found out that they were experimenting on some people who had actually been sober successfully for a while, and then they were re-addicting them just to have them withdraw again and study how different medications helped them with their withdrawal. And yes, this did in fact become a part of Operation MKUltra. So, just in case you're not familiar with MKUltra, and because it's crazy interesting, I'm just going to give you a quick little overview. Um, And this is just stuff from history.com, and I'm not going to get into all the details because, gosh, I could go on forever about this. But there was um, this guy, Sidney Gottlieb, and he was a CIA chemist and poison expert, and he was very interested in LSD, and specifically how the U.S. might be able to use it for brainwashing and psychological torture. And they started funding these uh, studies at universities, and we're finding it to just be too unpredictable to use for counterintelligence. And they messed with other drugs too, but we're just talking about LSD for the sake of this story. Um, So then they started doing all these crazy experiments on the public. Uh, One of these was Operation Midnight Climax, which involved prostitutes hired by the government, uh, and they lured unsuspecting men to designated locations where they were watched behind two-way mirrors after being given cocktails mixed with LSD. 
and then they were their behavior was studied. And these experiments took place in New York City and San Francisco. Um, like I said, I'm not going to go too deep into this whole operation because it could certainly be, you know, a whole series. But the point is, it was totally unethical, extreme, irresponsible. People died. Um, and it was all funded and conducted by the CIA. And part of it included some LSD experimentation on patients at the Lexington Narcotics Farm. And the fact that ARC was taking money from the CIA in return for these experiments on patients is ultimately what led to the hospital's demise. The last patient was transferred out of the lab on December 31st, 1976. Although that last scandal really kind of scarred the reputation and legacy of the hospital, there were still many positive advancements made during its existence, including preventing more seriously addictive drugs from going on the market. So, no, it was not the most successful rehab in history, and it was a little misguided, but it was a step in the right direction, and it was groundbreaking in its attempt to view addiction as something other than a behavior to be punished. And it was one of the first to make an attempt to rehabilitate through things like self-improvement and art therapy, rather than just locking someone away and throwing away the key. But yes, it did kind of go off the rails there at the end. And if you want to know more about the narcotic farm and its legacy, there is a book called The Narcotic Farm, The Rise and Fall of America's First Prison for Drug Addicts. Um, I have ordered it. It has not shown up yet, but I'm very excited about it. It's described as a visual history. Apparently, it's got over 150 photographs from the hospital, so that's going to be neat. Um, also, there is a documentary on the Narcotic Farm, which is just called Narcotic Farm. It's on KET, so you can go to their website. It looked like they have a couple upcoming airings, so that could be really interesting, too. And for now, the hospital is known as the FMC, Federal Medical Center, and it's a prison for inmates needing physical or mental health care. If you have suggestions for a future episode or I need to make a correction, as always, you can email kyhistoryhaunts at gmail.com. You can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at kyhistoryhaunts, and I also just made a Pinterest that's going to be a lot of fun, so... Just search Kentucky History and Haunts on Pinterest for that if you just love to look at old buildings and people and all that fun stuff. I love looking at the way the riverfront used to look in Louisville and how much it's grown. It's just crazy. And of course, you can also find the show on Facebook. So thank you for listening and until next time.